Welcome to Tuber Talk, Canada's potato podcast. Tuber Talk is produced by Potatoes in Canada magazine. You've tuned in to hear about the people and the ideas making a difference in the Canadian potato industry. Level up your potato protection with Miravis Duo Fungicide from Syngenta. Miravis Duo raises the bar for foliar potato fungicides. It delivers effective early blight control and broad-spectrum disease protection, so growers can proactively tackle several devastating diseases at once. This season, trust Miravis Duo to protect your yield and quality in your potatoes. Learn more at syngenta.ca. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Tuber Talk, the podcast by Potatoes in Canada magazine. I'm your host, Stephanie Crowley. Joining me today is Julie Pashi. Julie is an associate professor and the Neil C. Goodmastad Endowed Chair of Potato Pathology at North Dakota State University in Fargo. Hi, Julie. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Uh, I'd love if you could start by just uh, introducing yourself to our listeners and uh, sharing a little bit about your background in, in potato research and pathology and your role at NDSU. So thank you for that introduction and thank you for having me today. Um, I started in potato research uh, probably about 25 years ago almost now. I did, uh, I worked um, here at North Dakota State. I did my graduate studies here at North Dakota State, really focusing on um, fungicide resistance, uh, management and detection of verticillium wilt and um, black dot, the black dot pathogen Colotoxicum cocoides. During that time, I've been exposed to many, many things um, across the potato industry, but, you know, always more more to learn all the time. I returned to this role uh, as uh, the PI of the the project uh, here in in Fargo uh, a little bit over two years ago, and uh, I went away um, and worked on pulse crops for about about nine years. And so I'm very happy to be back working with potatoes and uh, very exciting to get back to some of the projects that I had been working on um, all those years. So. Wonderful. That's quite a jump going from potatoes to pulse crops. Lots of different uh, implications there, I'm sure. Yes, lots lots to learn and yeah. um, very, uh, very great research going in that area as well. But I kind of, uh, you know, potatoes seems like home to me. Yeah, I can understand that for sure. Well, that's excellent. So Julie, we first, um, you and I first uh, kind of met earlier this year at the Ontario Potato Conference, uh, where you presented on black dot. And at that time, you referred to the disease as the silent early yield robber. So I'm curious why you call uh, black dot both silent and early, if you could explain that to our listeners. Yeah, so a lot of times I think that um, black dot is um, in some cases underestimated, where we maybe don't see um, that that yield that that we're losing to black dot, and um, because it, uh, it, we know that infection occurs very early in the season, and there there you get the um, the early, but symptoms don't present themselves at least uh, on the stems. And until later in the season, until really the plants start to senesce, and there's your your silent portion of it. And so we know um, from some work that I did, did in my graduate studies that we can detect um, uh, Colotoxicum which, uh, cocoides, which is the, the pathogen that causes black dot, mm-hmm. uh, really before emergence, at and before emergence. And so in those stems, that pathogen is already is already there. And, um, and then as the as the year progresses, depending on um, kind of the environmental conditions and the disease pressure, uh, the stress that the plants are under, um, then we may or may not see really uh, some some yield loss to to black dot. But 
But um, in many cases, it can be substantial and significant. And so that's kind of where that, um, that title comes in. I do have to tell you that um, Eugenia Banks uh, uh, really kind of proposed that title to me as, <laughs> and she said, you know, this is really kind of what the work you've done has showed. And so um, we, we went with it. So I cannot take, uh, take complete credit for that. That's fair. Eugenia always has great ideas like that. Yeah, and that absolutely. makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I have to compliment you on how uh, clearly and quickly you always refer to the pathogen, which I will butcher if I try to uh, repronounce it here. But that must be something that uh, a skill that you would develop early in your role as a pathologist. Yes, for sure. When we talk about Black Dot um, and the presentation and how it appears on tubers, oftentimes, and you, you reference this in your presentation at the conference, uh, Black Dot and Silver Scurf can perhaps present kind of similarly. Um, obviously, we don't see photos in an, in an audio podcast like this, but we do have photos to refer to that. But how can growers tell them apart? So can a, can a tuber be infected with both black dot and silver scurf? Is there, you know, some of those visual warning signals that you can point to? Yeah, absolutely. It's very difficult. And really, um, depending on the skin type of the tuber also really contributes to that. Uh, you know, the reds, um, a lot of times are the easiest to discern between the two, um, but you get something on a white skinned, uh, or I find that the purple skinned are really extremely difficult to tell the difference. And so uh, that that comes into play. But really, we see silver scurf, obviously, is silver in the name, you have kind of a silvery sheen with it. And with silver scurf, you get you get um, you know kind of tan to gray, circular or regular shaped um, lesions. Um, but the the silver scurf lesions uh, tend to have a really distinct border. And whereas black dot lesions or the, the lesions caused by the black dot fungus um, tend to have a, a little bit, um, it's just not that real distinct border. Um, silver scurf lesions really can be anywhere from even a pinhead, you know, when they're first starting and, and developing, and then they kind of develop into those circular lesions. And then those can coalesce. And so they really um, can cover most or all of the tuber. Um, when when the environment, it, it, when there's a humid environment, um, certainly we see this in storage where we have, you, you know, high humidity, uh, you, you, the, the silver scurf lesions will sporulate around the edges. And so um, if you look at those under a microscope, you get what are little like Christmas tree type looking um, sporulating uh, structures. And to the naked eye, you can kind of see just a thin gray or black line around the outsides. You, you don't probably typically see that a lot, um, but certainly you can see that under humid conditions. With black dot, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily sporulate. Uh, in storage. You, again, you have that kind of diffuse border. Um, the, the lesions can be tan to, to gray to even really darker, sometimes darker black, um, but you don't get that silvery sheen. And, and uh, that's difficult a lot of times. With black dot, if we look at that, even with a hand lens, um, black dot gets its name from uh, fungal structures that are called microscorotia. And they're hard resting bodies. They're the hard resting bodies that stay with us in the soil that cause um, infections from year to year to year. And, and those black um, resting structures will stay on the, those in the lesion. So even if you have a hand lens, you, if you look at that, um, you certainly can see those, those black structures there. And so kind of, you know, Christmas trees with silver scurf, you know, black um, dots, uh, 
you know, so they both are very, the names are very descriptive of what you'll mm -hmm. see. Um, yes, we do see them uh, together, both on the same tuber, uh, not uncommonly. And uh, there was some very good work done at Colorado State. I'm kind of looking at how commonly uh, the, they are seen together. And so again, this makes it difficult, um, difficult for the grower. I think the importance of that um, really comes in where you're talking about seed. Uh, silver scurf is very, it's the seed borne phase of silver scurf is very important. It does not survive in the soil um, well at all. And so when you're, when you're picking out seed, if you have black down on the seed, um, not maybe as important uh, as a silver scurf on the seed. Black dot we know survives very well, as I said, as those microscrotia in the soil. And so the seed borne phase is, is, is maybe not as important um, as with silver scurf where the seed borne phase is, is truly as important. Okay. Lots of information to digest there and remember, and I'm going to just backtrack a little bit because you mentioned humidity and I wanted sure. to um, chat and find out about when disease pressure is the greatest. And obviously I would imagine certain levels of, you know, humidity or soil moisture and that kind of thing throughout the growing season would influence um, disease pressure for both of those. Yeah. So um, as far as disease pressure, black is black dot is concerned. You know, we know that um, with increasing levels of those microsclerotia that have survived in the soil, you mm -hmm. get increasing disease pressure. Mm -hmm. And you also uh, it, there um, was some very good work done by Dennis Johnson's group at Washington State. Um, probably 10 or 12 years ago now, uh, that looked at just that, how much um, you had in the soil, as well as the crop rotation. And mm -hmm. with um, increasing lengths of crop rotation, uh, uh, you got less black dot pressure, black dot on the tubers that they, that they uh, evaluated post-harvest. And with um, increasing numbers of crops in a single field, you mm -hmm. also got increasing levels of black dot on, on the tubers. And so um, that really is one thing that's very important. Um, the other part uh, about black dot that it really can exacerbate the, the yield losses and the quality losses is um, stress on the plants. So some work that we've done here and others have done um, has shown that uh, where we have a situation where we have really highly stressed plants, we really can see significant re reductions in yield um, mm -hmm. versus where you have a, a situation with, um, you know, a crop that's healthier. In, mm -hmm. in, in the instance um, of the work that, that we did here, we had one year where we had a very heavy drenching rain in the mm -hmm. early part of June. And um, that, you know, you have light nitrogen um, leaching and et cetera, and really causes plant stress. And, and that was the year uh, out of four that we saw um, significant uh, yield reductions and et cetera compared to the others. So, so really um, some of those plant health things uh, are, are very important. Um, with black dot, one of the things we also see is that um, with blowing, blow, blowing soil and, and especially in the sandy areas, mm -hmm. um, those microscrotia certainly are surviving in the soil. Mm -hmm. And as the, as the soil blows, those microscrotia blows um, with them and you get injury on the plant stems and then the, the pathogen, the, the Colotrichum coccoides is able to infect via those injuries. And so okay. it's really some of those things that all contribute um, to the infection, um, to black dot infection as, as the season, not only from the soil, but then um, directly invading, you know, roots, um, but also from the, that stem portion as well. So um, quite a few different things kind of going on there. It sounds like it. Absolutely. I'm thinking 
back to, you know, our, I'm located here in Ontario. Uh, last summer, the end of the spring into the early summer, end of June, we had quite a bit of rainfall. Uh, for growers who might be listening in Western Canada, uh, who experienced drought-like conditions, that was a complete other game last year that they had to deal with, right? So, um, but what you're saying, it sounds like is it's not necessarily the amount of rain. There are other, you know, lots of other factors that might, uh, might contribute to higher disease pressure too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and black dot has also been known to kind of piggyback on other diseases where you have mm -hmm. high verticillium wilt or mm -hmm. um, stress from things like early blight or other mm -hmm. foliar diseases. Um, black dot is kind of one of those that will piggyback. And again, I guess that that relates back to the silent portion of the uh, of what we're talking about here where you don't necessarily see it or appreciate it, but it's certainly right. part of the piece of the puzzle. Right. Absolutely. So let's talk about management. Um, and you've done quite a bit of extensive, re extensive research on management options for Black Dot. Um, can you share some of the options that might be available uh, for growers this year, specifically here in Canada? But uh, I know we have uh, most of the most of the same products that uh, you would have in the States. Yeah. So um, really, you know, we can talk about products. Let's kind of back up and talk about, you know, crop rotation a little bit. Yeah. Um, so like I said, you know, there's been some good work done on, on crop rotation and reducing the pathogen in the soil over time, as well as that number of potato crops kind of um, uh, contributing to that as well. Um, as I said, you know, the seed borne phase of black dot maybe isn't the most important, but again, you know, uh, trying to use clean seed is always, always an important portion of this. And then um, really reducing that plant set stress, as we've already talked about, kind of these mm -hmm. things all come, come, into, come into play. Um, but with that um, stem phase, where, as I indicated, we get the blowing sand and the blowing microsclerotia that, that cause infections. One of the things that we found, as well as, you know, other research has, has shown this again, um, Dennis Johnson's group uh, did some of this work, was that a, um, an application of a, of a QOI or a strobularin fungicide, um, and there, there are others, we tend to kind of lean on the QOIs, um, at, early before row closure. And so you can kind of get it really down and get some contact with the stems there um, mm -hmm. will help to reduce um, black dot. And, and certainly we've seen that um, some of the SDHI fungicides also will, will um, have that effect as well. Um, we tend to think, um, at least from my opinion, is that we, we'd, I would like to see um, saving those SDHI fungicide applications to manage early blight. Mm -hmm. And so maybe not the best uh, use of, of those chemistries at, for black dot because the QOIs are efficacious still for black dot, whereas we really don't um, have any um, reduced efficacy in, in, in the early blight pathogen to, um, to the QOI. So uh, we think, really think that that's the most effective way to, to manage. Um, one thing that I think is important to note there is that that work has been done to look at the, the foliar phase or the stem phase of black dot to show that we do get a reduction in um, the number of stems that show black dot symptoms with, mm -hmm. with the application of fungicides early. Um, but one thing that really hasn't been looked at extensively is then how does that affect the tuber phase? And are we really seeing a reduction in, in those tuber blemishes uh, with that reduction in um, stem? In, in STEM incidents. And that's really an area that, that needs some more work going forward. Okay. Interesting. Always good to remember proper stewardship of the chemistries, as you mentioned, um, something that is a, an important reminder as we get into the season and, um, you know, making those wise decisions and using 
what's needed, where it's needed and when it's needed. Absolutely. Get our best bang for our buck. And yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wonderful. Well, Julie, this has been super informative. Uh, Before I let you go, is there anything else kind of on your radar as a potato pathologist um, that, you know, you might want to just kind of stick a bug in a grower's ear for the coming season of some things to maybe keep an eye out for? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, and, you know, it obviously is a wide listening audience, but here where I'm at, we're uh, in North Dakota, we're having an extremely wet spring. We have, uh, you know, the polar opposite of what we were seeing last year with a very, very dry, hot spring um, leading Mm -hmm. into summer. And we are extremely wet here. Um, We have, at least in our area, escaped things like late blight, um, Mm -hmm. in particular late blight for the past several seasons, Um, largely anyways, not that it's never seen. But um, I think that we need to kind of think about how our weather um, really affects what we're doing going forward. And and, and I believe the growers really pay quite close attention to that but um this wet spring it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with 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 pathogens like like late blight that really love the humidity mm-hmm. um and, and some of our other soil-borne pathogens uh we know that certainly wet soil conditions for things like pythium and leak can cause us some problems going into storage and so um that you know last year we were looking at managing irrigation just to try to keep up mm-hmm. because of the hot and dry conditions and now you know who knows it might tr- the rain might turn off today and um <laughs> this this will be for not but mm-hmm. um but if if this weather pattern continues, certainly we have to really kind of change our our, our mindset. And mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, certainly potato growers are used to that uh, yeah. kind of quick changing on the fly. But um, yeah, so absolutely, we wish there was a silver bullet to just kind of you know get everything set and and ready to go and and solve all of our problems. But we know that's not the case. So. It, it, you know, absolutely not. And 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 something every year brings something new. Certainly, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, Julie, thank you so much for joining me on Tuber Talk today. It was great to chat with you again. And thanks for sharing so much great information with our growers. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Tuber Talk, Canada's potato podcast. Catch up on all of our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts or online at potatoesincanada.com slash podcast.